entitled Draw Near. We are working our way through the book of Leviticus. And so we are in Leviticus chapter 1. So if you can open up your Bibles there. We do have a reading guide that we have available in the lobby that looks like this. Also, you'll notice in the bulletin, which you can get at the doorways and it's online, we also indicate what passages that we're going to be uh, covering over the particular Sundays because sometimes it is a great deal of content and we don't have time uh, to read all of that here. So I just want to encourage you to be reading ahead uh, as you come into worship. There's also some other helpful resources in here. We also have resources uh, in the center of the church lobby there with a daily, uh, weekly resource. We're just trying to inform you as we try to connect our minds with what was going on in the ancient world. It's hard for us sometimes in the year 2020 to be able to understand what was going on with God's people back then. So we need to do a little bit of work. And so we're trying to provide some of those tools for you. So please uh, take advantage of those as we uh, try to understand God's word. Because we know that all of it, as Paul says in Timothy, is useful for us. And friends, that even includes the book of Leviticus. So let's, uh, let's read together uh, Leviticus 1. I'm going to read the first uh, nine verses. The Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. And he said, speak to the Israelites and say to them, when anyone among you brings an offering to the Lord, bring as your offering an animal from either the herd or the flock. If the offering is a burnt offering from the herd, you are to offer a male without defect. You must present it at the entrance to the tent of the meeting so that it will be acceptable to the Lord. You are to lay your hand on the head of the burnt offering and it will be accepted on your behalf to make atonement for you. You are to slaughter the young bull before the Lord, and then Aaron's sons, the priests, shall bring the blood and splash it against the sides of the altar at the entrance to the tent of the meeting. You are to skin the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. The sons of Aaron, the priests, are to put fire on the altar and arrange wood on the fire. Then Aaron's sons, the priests, shall arrange the pieces, including the head and the fat, on the wood that is burning on the altar. You are to wash the internal organs and the legs with water, and the priest is to burn up all of it on the altar. It is a burnt offering, a food offering, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Oh my goodness. We have just started reading Leviticus. We're going to give it the old college try to go through Leviticus again. And here we get right off the bat, we got burnt offerings, we got slaughtering, we got blood being sprinkled, we got internal organs being washed. And this is why we skip over Leviticus. It's why we avoid it. But I want to remind you as we talked a little bit about last week, what's at stake here? What's at stake is that there is a holy God who wants to dwell with his people. And his people are sinful people. And I would suggest to you that this is a relational book. And we sometimes lose that in all these details. But it is God who says, I want to live and I want to dwell with you. And in Leviticus, we have the very revelation of God, the words of God saying, here's the pathway. Here's how you sinful people. Here's the preparations you need to make to meet with me, a holy God who is set apart. 
And here is the pathway for you right here. And what we see in the first six chapters of Leviticus is that God tells us that the first way that we are to approach him and the first preparations that we need to make to meet with our holy God is that we are to come with an offering. We come with an offering. That word is used over 90 times in the book of Leviticus, so it seems to me that we ought to pay attention to that word. In Hebrew, the word is korban, and and it means to bring a gift. And often associated with this gift is a cost to this gift. That's why sometimes we interchange those words offering and sacrifice. Because this gift is not one that I just had laying around like in my cupboard when I go to a white elephant party. Cost me nothing. It is a gift that costs me something. It is a costly gift that I bring to God. I do not show up empty-handed into God's presence because He is holy. He is set apart. He is God Almighty. We are not. He is eternal. We are not. He is righteous. We are not. He is the creator and we are the creation. And so we do not just stroll into the presence of God. We show up because he is almighty and holy and set apart. We show up in his presence with an offering. With an offering. And this tells us our proper position before our God. And so we show up with an offering, a costly offering. And God outlines those for us here in the book of Leviticus. I think about, I think it was about two years ago that Amy and I uh, and her mom, because her mom had the membership to Meyer Gardens, she wasn't a third wheel, not at all, we brought her along with us to Meyer Gardens to see Petrusha. Petrusha is an Amphormilius titanium. It is a, a plant that there at Meyer Gardens, they had been growing for 18 years. And at the end of 18 years, it finally was going to blossom after 18 years of nurturing it. And so uh, I wanted to go see it. If it took 18 years, it had to be impressive, and it was not going to bloom for another six years. So it was a unique opportunity, and I'm kind of quirky that I like seeing those kinds of things. And so we went to go see this Amphormilius titanium, and we waited in a line. It was kind of a long line to see it. In the blossom, what you can see there is how large, and, and it was very uh, beautiful uh, to look at and to take in. But there was one problem with the blossom is that when it blossomed, it smelled. It smelled like death. Thus the name Putricia for putrid. It was like uh, uh, death, decay, rot. Uh, It was awful. And so even after you waited all this time to see the plant, you wanted to stand in front of it and marvel at it. You couldn't. You made a beeline right out of there because the smell was so repugnant that you couldn't stand it. And you were out of there in no time. And I bring that up to us this morning because, friends, our sin is that in God's nostrils. Our sin is that repugnant 
to God. Because who is he? He is holy. And a holy God can have nothing to do with sin. And if he gets around sin, he's like, oh. And he's got to be separated from our sin. He can have nothing to do with us. And so we think about strolling into worship. We're strolling into the very presence of God who is holy. And we come with this sin and God's like, oh, I cannot deal with this sin. I can't have anything to do with it. And the good news is that we find here in Leviticus is because God loves us as his people and because God said, I want to draw near to my people, I want to live and dwell with them, that God made a way for our sin to not smell in his nose. God made a way for our smell not to be repugnant to him. If you notice in the burnt offering that it says in uh, verse 9 that the offering is going to be a pleasing aroma to God. If you look at the grain offering in verse 2-9, it says this is going to be a pleasing aroma to God. If you look at the fellowship offering in chapter 3, again it says this is going to be a pleasing offering to God aroma to God. And so God gives us those first three offerings in the book of Leviticus to cover up our smell of sin. And God says, those offerings will be a sweet aroma to me to cover up your sin. In the burnt offering, in the burnt offering, we show up, and our offering is a sweet aroma to the Lord because it covers up our smell of wanting just to live for ourselves or to live for other things or to live for other uh, uh, entities in this world. Because what God is looking for and what he sees in the burnt offering when you show up with this burnt offering, he sees a repentant heart that says, God, I was living for some of these things, but I'm resetting my heart today in your presence to say that I'm living completely and solely for you. It's a complete surrender to God. And that's a sweet aroma to the, to, to, to the nostrils of God, that you're coming in complete surrender, loving him with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, because that's what he wants from his people. And so you notice as this burnt offering is given, they bring an, an animal, a perfect animal, it's always a perfect animal, to represent the holiness and spotlessness and sinlessness of God. And a ritual has taken place where that animal is brought and then the hands are pressed onto them. The Hebrew word is shemecha. And that is a ritual. Shemecha, my hands are pressed onto it. And then through this ritual, symbolically, this animal now is taking the place of me. This animal right here is taking my place. And this animal who is perfect and right is now being given in my place because I erred and I followed other ways. But now I'm showing full devotion to you, God. And this animal is then slaughtered. And notice that the entire animal is put onto the altar and the entire animal is burned because it symbolizes the totality of surrender before God. And the blood, which represents life, blood always represents life, 
life given for life. The life is sprinkled at the front of the uh, tabernacle at the tent of the meeting because death can't come in. Sin can't come in. So this blood of life is sprinkled there. And the blood of life is sprinkled on the horns of the altar representing the four corners of the earth from one side to the other. God is saying, I'm making you clean in my sight. You are no longer a smell to me. You are a sweet fragrance in my nose. The grain offering is also a sweet aroma to God because it represents a heart that is filled with gratitude and thanksgiving. We not only come into the presence of our holy God, bringing him a heart that is offered fully to him, but we come with thanksgiving and with gratitude on our lips. Often we show up in God's presence and we're mad at God because we think God hasn't given us enough or that we are entitled to things, or that God has let us down. But God does not owe us anything. Our lives are in his hands, and everything that we have comes from the very hands of God. Our life, our breath, our jobs, our career, our homes, everything we have is from God. Even as the, you know, the, the song that we sing is, uh, what is it, when there are streams of abundance flow? We give thanksgiving to God. And when I'm in the desert place, I give thanks to God because everything, even in all those times, is from his hands. And so I come into the presence of God. David knew this. David said, you come into my presence and you come into the temple with thanksgiving. That's how you come to see God. You come with thanksgiving. And that was a lesson that God's people needed to learn because they had to say, God, you are the provider. You are the sustainer. You are sovereign. I'm not self-sufficient. I'm not, not self-reliable. I can't pull myself up by my bootstraps, God. I need you. And so the burnt offerings, the grain offerings, where they took the very best of their hands, they took the finest flour, they took uh, the, 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 the cakes that they made, they took the grain, and they offered a portion of that to God, say, here's the best of what, what I have been able to produce in my life, God, and I know that the only reason that I have this is because of you. And they offer it to God with a heart of gratitude and thanksgiving. And it rises to God as a sweet aroma. And in the fellowship offering, the sweet smell of relational wholeness rises to the Lord. Because we can come in to God's presence with the, with the mar of sin, which breaks relationships, right? It breaks relationships between us and God and between us and other people. And so sin often breaks us apart relationally where the heart of God is one of peace, one of shalom. And God, God is looking for us to come with that commitment to living in peace with our brothers and sisters, to living out the values of his kingdom. And so in the fellowship offering, notice, notice what happens here. That the fellowship offering is given, and it says that you are given it, as it says, for food for the Lord. That it's a food offering to the Lord. Which means, I'm giving it to God, it's a food offering to him, and if we think symbolically, that means God is going to eat with me. And then notice they don't burn the whole, they don't burn the whole thing as they did with the burnt offering. 
but rather the rest of it is used for the priest to eat and for the worshiper to eat with their family and with their friends. And we know in the ancient culture, when you sat at a table and had table fellowship with somebody, it meant belonging. It meant acceptance. And so see what God is saying here, that as you come into my wor- into worship and you bring this fellowship offering, it means that you are coming with a heart that is shalom, that a heart where you actually are a peacemaker, because blessed are those who are peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. And that's who we are. And, God, and we see that symbolized in the fellowship offering. That we cover up our sin, these, these elements of sin, the attitudes of sin that we can come into worship with is we come giving God our whole being. We come and we give God hearts of gratitude and, and thanksgiving. And we come making sure that, that we are right with other people. It was Jesus said in Matthew 5, he said, if you're coming into God's presence and you're bringing him a gift and you know that something is wrong between you and somebody else, leave your gift at the altar and go make things right with them first and then come back to the altar. You see, God's always looking at our heart. He's always looking at our commitment. And these offerings symbolized what God was looking for in the lives of his people and in the hearts of his people. And so our question becomes, is that the heart that I'm bringing to worship? When I come to worship, am I coming to give to God? Because He is holy and I am not. Was that your attitude when you got up this morning? That you knew that you were going in to meet a holy and almighty and creator God who is set apart, who is transcendent from His creation. You knew you were going to stroll into His presence. Did that grip you this morning that he is holy and you are not? And so you come into his presence and how did you come? Did you come ready to to give to God? Most of the times in our American culture we come ready just, I'm coming in casually and I'm strolling in and I'm ready to get. I'm ready to get some good music. Maybe I don't like it, maybe I do like it. I'm ready to hear a good message. Maybe I'll get it, maybe I won't. Hopefully he's not preaching out of Leviticus. Oh, brother. I hope that I can get things out of my worship and evaluate it when we leave on what we were able to receive from worship. Do you see how backwards that is? Because God is saying, when you come into my presence, I want to draw near to you, but in order for me to draw near to you, is not you strolling in with a cup of coffee five minutes late and just sitting down and maybe singing if you want to. That's not what God says. He says, come into my presence. Here's what you got to do. you got to bring the right heart. And I want all of you. And I want you to give your gratitude to me. And I want you to love each other above all. Would that be you this morning as you come into worship? As you come to see our God? See how this instructs our worship for today? Are you coming with offerings that cost you something? you come into the presence of God. I remember um, growing up when I was little Bobby, and uh, we, I grew up in Jenison at the time when Jenison was just being kind of established. And so on our uh, neighborhood street, houses were being built, which for a six and, you know, six and seven-year-old, that was awesome. Because that meant all the way down the street, littering the street, was huge dirt piles 
huge dirt piles. You know, you can run up those things and then you can jump off them, jump down. You can, you can dig in them. You can find the dirt clumps in them and throw them at other neighborhood children. It was, it was a beautiful thing to be able to play in that dirt. And then when it rained, oh, glorious mud, right? Mud, and you could play in the mud. It was just, it was just like a haven. Uh, and that was the video games of my day. That's what we did. We played in the dirt pile. Um, and, and, but uh, all was good and well. I, w- I would be having a good time uh, until there would come that moment where all of a sudden I, I would need to use the bathroom. And so, yeah, oh, no, yeah. So little Bobby would have to run off the dirt pile, run down through the, and then all, all of a sudden through the back door, down the hallway, and into the bathroom. Oh, you're getting ahead of me. You know exactly where this is going, don't you? And all was well for little Bobby until he turned and he opened the bathroom door to head back out to play because there he would face his mom. And mom, if you're watching, which usually you are, (laughs) she may be tiny, but you did not want to bring dirt into my mom's house. Especially on Friday, that was cleaning day. And the house had to stay clean until Dad got home. And if you tracked mud and dirt in that day, really bad news for you. The same is true for us if we try to track the sin, the dirt of our sin into God's house. You see that? God said, I want to dwell with you. I want to live with you. I want to establish my, my presence right here with you, which you did in the tabernacle. But one thing cannot happen. You can't bring the dirt of your sin into my house. Why? Because God is holy. He's set apart. Sin is, re, is a, it's a repugnant smell to him, and we cannot track our sin and our dirt into God's house. There cannot be any of it. And God, in his gracious love again, in his gracious love again, this is so wonderful because this book tells us so much about how God loves us and wants to be with us so much. God says, I will make a way for you. I will make a way for you to be able to be rid of that sin so you can come into my house. And the word that is used in the Bible is atonement. Atonement. And this right here informs us not only in Leviticus, but also the theology of the whole Bible moving forward. And it points us to Jesus Christ who gave his life on the cross as an atonement for our sins. And in atonement, the same thing happens. Shemekah, we lay our hands on the animal. It's a perfect animal. And God, in his love, if you read through here, God made provisions for whatever, uh, whatever economic situation you're in. You can bring something from your herd. You can bring a sheep. You can bring a goat. You can bring a pigeon. But it has to be the best. And it has to be pure. It has to be unblemished. Why? Because that's who God is. And only that kind of offering would be acceptable to him. And so we put our hands on Semecha. And in this one, as we push our hands down on that one, then my sin ritually is transferred onto the one that I'm pressing my hands onto. And now that one is inheriting my sin. And so God looks at this perfect one who now is filled with sin, and that one can give its life again. That one can give its life and satisfy the wrath and the justice of God in exchange for my life. And so God brings, so we bring that offering to atone for our sins because we don't want to, we don't want to, uh, we don't want to track this dirt in. 
to the temple. And so we see in this offering that you would, in the burnt offering, and, I'm sorry, not in the burnt offering, in the, uh, the sin offering, sometimes called the purification offering, because it makes you pure, and in the guilt offering, the same thing happens. You bring your, you bring what, your, uh, your offering to God. And that life is broken. That life is killed. That life is slaughtered right before the entryway of the tent. And then its blood is taken and its blood is sprinkled throughout the altar. It is sprinkled uh, through the tabernacle as a cleansing, as a purifying agent. And notice where this offering then is, is uh, offered. It is offered not like the burnt offering, which was on the altar in the tabernacle, because that was a sweet aroma, right, going to God. But that, this offering was offered outside the camp. It was burnt outside the camp. Why? What is sin? Repugnant to God. This offering had to be given outside the camp for sin. And it points us to one who was also given his life outside the camp, outside the city, on a, on a garbage heap for us. And so this, this offering is given. Part of it is, 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 uh, uh, is put on the altar. The rest of it, the bulk of it, is taken outside, and it is given there. In the case of the, the guilt offering, a restitution would be paid because I'm not only, uh, not only covering, need to cover up this sin, but I'm also going to make sure that the, the sin that I hurt, the brokenness that I called it created, is repaired. And so I give a restitution for this sin as well. And so through, the, through, these, uh, through this guilt offering, through this restitution offering, God is able then to look at us and see that we are free from our sin. That we are not able, that we don't have to track our sin into his holy presence. Now God's people had to do this day after day after day after day. But the good news is that our God loved us so much that he sent a once and for all sacrifice for us. Jesus Christ, who was the perfect Lamb of God, who took away the sins of the world. And in the words of the Bible, in him we have complete remission of sin. And God says, as far as the east is from the west, your sins are no more. Once they were like scarlet, but now they're white as snow. And so when we come to worship, the only way that we can draw near to God is through the sacrifice that was given for our sin to make us pure, to make us holy as God is holy. And that is the life of Jesus Christ. And the scriptures say that no one comes to the Father except through Jesus. Why? Because a sacrifice had to be made. A life had to be given for life. Sin had to be eradicated because we are going into the presence of a holy God. As we look at these offerings here in Leviticus, I just encourage you to do the hard work of reading them because they informs us about the character of God. It also informs us about our character. It tells us about the great love of God. It tells us about how sinful we are. 
It tells us about what we need to do to repair that relationship with God. And my prayer is today that you will see that it is a heart that needs to be turned towards God. And in Romans 12, 1, Paul tells us, this is what I'm looking for, that you would be a living sacrifice. That you would be a living sacrifice. Because God is holy and we are not, and because I want to draw and be near to God in relationship, the sacrifice that God is looking for is that each and every day, just as these sacrifices were given, we are not given these sacrifices anymore, but we are giving him our life. And we are a living sacrifice. And when are you living? All the time. Every breath that you have. And God says, that's what I'm looking for from you. That I would have every breath that you get. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. It's for the Lord and not for men. That's the sacrifice that I want from you. And when you live in that kind of relationship, then we can draw near. And a holy God can be near his sinful people. So I just want to encourage you to think through your worship practices. To think through your worship mentality. Does your, does your view of worship line up with God's view of worship? What is God worth? He's worth each and every one of us who are sinful people, bringing to him our sacrifices, our offerings, because he is holy and we are not. May God draw near to each of us as we strive each and every day to be more and more like him and to be found more and more like Jesus Christ so that we too can be holy as God is holy. Let's pray together. God, we thank you uh, for preserving these words, as hard and as challenging as they are, and even as understandable, uh, uh, hard to understand as they are, God, yet we see that even here there is, is truth, uh, deep truth. And help us not to avoid this, God, but help us to embrace it. And uh, uh, maybe as the enemy knows, um, God, this is the, the path for us to draw near to you. So he puts in our mind and our hearts that uh, these words are irrelevant. But God, may we see the truth in them. And today, may we begin to apply them to our life. And we ask that, that this church as a community, that we would become greater worshipers of you. That we would be able to worship you in spirit and in truth. And that we would worship you in the way that you call us to worship you. Not in the way that we want or that we think is best or we think should happen, but God, according to your will and your ways. And so God, if we need to make a, a correction in our lives, may you help us make that correction today so that we can better serve you, uh, worship you, and above all, that we can walk daily in your presence. And so God, here today, we ask that you would take our lives and that we uh, could be an offering to you. 